Hey everybody, we're back and it is the weekend and we're coming to you with this week's teaching. It's a blessing to always be able to teach you the Word of God and uh, you know we're still in this time of self-quarantine so uh, once again I miss you guys and I can't wait to see you in person. Now we have been in a series since the whole quarantine began called Peace and the Panic. We ended or we didn't actually finish the margin series we just went right into this series because of the situation and I think it's very wise to speak to what's going on in our lives at the time so since March 15th we have been actually talking about peace <clears throat> peace in the panic last Sunday uh, we took a little turn within the series and started talking about the peaceful heart of which I began to dissect Psalm chapter 23, the famous, the Lord is my shepherd Psalm, of which David, who was a shepherd, he wrote. We covered chapter one, I'm sorry, verse one last week in last week's message. Today's message will cover verses two and verse three. Now, before we get into that message, I want us to turn in an opening verse just to think about something. I want us to turn to Luke chapter 21. If you have your Bible or you have your app out there with you, Luke chapter 21. <clears throat> and verse uh, 26 says this. Um, says, Men fainting from fear and expectation of the things which are coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, this is a verse that's in the chapter that's about the end times. <clears throat> And there has been a question that somewhat is repeatedly asked of me, and I want to address it every time, and that is, people ask me in this time, are we in the end times? And I always say the answer is yes and no. Yes, in that from Acts chapter 2, when the church age was born a couple thousand years ago, it says in Acts 2, in the last days. So that began the last days. But what they're really asking me is, are we in or nearing the seven-year great tribulation? And the answer is, no, we're not in it. Um, we're not in it at all. Because if we were in the great seven-year tribulation, I, I wouldn't be here. Christian, you wouldn't be here, follower of Christ, because you'd be raptured, you'd miss the whole thing. But let me tell you something. In this great tribulation period of which Luke writes down, he says that uh, men fainting from fear and expectation of things. So he's telling us that in the Great Tribulation period, people will be fainting or failing, their hearts failing them, from fear. And the word that he uses, the word fainting there, means to expire, to breathe out, to take your last breath. I want you to think about that. In the Great Seven-Year Tribulation, people will be so panicked that they'll be dying. They'll be dying of fear. Now, now guys, there's been panic in our times with this pandemic, but this is nothing. This is nothing compared to what's gonna take place in the great seven year tribulation period. Now that's gonna be panic. Now, like I said, if you are a follower of Christ, you will be raptured out before that happens. If you're not, or you left God a long time ago, it's time to rethink where you're going in your life and start committing yourself back to the one who loves you, and that's Jesus Christ. Paul, a New Testament writer, will, will write in, in Galatians, 
Uh, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, let me put it to you another way. He's really saying it like this. He's saying God's not like your mom and dad. You and I could fool our mom and dad, but we can't fool God. He says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. You can't fool God. You, you can't fool God. So if you're going to be a follower of Christ, be a follower of Christ to avoid all that's coming on the earth one day. Now, back to my point. People are panicked now, but boy, they'll really be panicked in the great tribulation period. Now, our big question every week is this. How does a person have peace in any situation? So we're covering a lot of dimensions to peace, not just the pandemic situation. <clears throat> so he's real, I'm really asking, how do I have a peaceful heart instead of a fainting or failing heart like Luke talked about? Well, turn to Psalm 23, and we're going to cover verses 2 and 3. I got three points for you today. Last week, I think I had four. I was really pushing it there. Huh? But I have three points, and I want to talk about the peaceful heart from Psalm 23, verse 2 and verse 3. So here we go. Point one is this. The peaceful heart lies down and the peaceful heart is led. It lies down and is led. Verse 2 of Psalm 23 says this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. <clears throat> I love the picture. David is picturing himself and every follower of Christ as a sheep. God is the great shepherd. David has insight into God the shepherd because David not only picturing himself as a sheep, but was a shepherd up until the day that he came and slew Goliath that day in the valley Elah when everything changed in his life. So he understands the shepherd, sheep, sheep, shepherd relationship. He says, this chief shepherd of mine, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. It's an amazing picture because as you lead the sheep, it's like springtime when everything's green and there's green pastures and he leads them there to graze. Isn't that great? And not only that, he makes them, or he makes them lie down in green pastures, but then he leads them to still waters. What's still waters? Well, one application of it in the physical is after the winter rains and the rains stop, not only do you have a lot of water rushing in rivers, but you have these areas where the ground dips a bit. You've seen it. And where water accumulates and it's a, a, it's a little puddle of water. It's sometimes pretty big. And not until summer hits, less, no more rain, no more rain, it begins to evaporate until it's gone. We get some of those here on the church campus where birds come and drink from until that still water is absolutely gone. Now, he says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me to still waters to drink. So not only does he, do I lie down, I'm led. So the peaceful heart lies down and is led. Say that with me. The peaceful heart lies down and is led. Now, let me show you another application of this, and then I'm going to take you into personal application. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 10? It's really a cool little story. Maybe you've never looked at this particular slant of this story, but Luke chapter 10, <clears throat> verse 38, Mary and Martha, remember Jesus comes over and 
all the preparations and one sister gets mad at the other and that, that never happens in our day, huh? Um, but verse 38 says this. <clears throat> now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, meaning Jesus entered the village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Okay. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. Now think about what's going on in this house. You have Mary, who's relaxing. You have Martha, who's filled with activity and busy, both dwelling in the same home. If you think about it, relaxation and activity in the same home. In our lives, isn't that true? Our life should be a combination and some kind of balance of relaxation and thus activity. In other words, we lie down and we're led. We lie down, relaxation, and we're led, activity. Now, let me take this into applications for our life. He, he says, he makes me lie down. In Hebrew, those words, he makes me lie down, one word. Just mean, It's one word. And it literally means to stretch out and lie down. Now, some of you out there are going, I like that a lot. Get to stretch out, lie down, just relax. Now, notice it doesn't say sleep. Sleep's a different thing. But he's telling us that we need to practice stopping our lives, slow it down, to have a peaceful heart. Now the question is why? You know, why, why would I do that? Well, let me ask you a better question. Now listen closely. Why is it so difficult for some people to slow it all, all down, to be left just to themselves, phone out of arm's distance, turn it off, and just be you by yourself, alone, no television, no phone, no music, nothing, and just be you and God. Why is it so difficult to just stop everything and slow down and do that just for a short time in your life? Could it be? And this just, I'm just, I'm just kind of questioning and asking, even though I, I think I do know some of the answers from experience and every, a lot of, that I've read in my life. Could it be that for some people, no matter how successful, no matter how much we have, no matter what we've accomplished, we're just not happy on the inside or maybe not even happy with ourselves? And maybe that's why we get busy all the time. We can never put things aside and just be still and know that He is God. Is it possible? Is it possible it's very difficult for some of us just to be alone with ourselves and slow it down? Now, let me say this. Some of you, like me, are type A personalities. You think, oh, slow down, that's just foolish. No, it's not. I used to think so. But is it possible, type A personality, that you won't slow down? Because you won't take a good look at yourself? Let me examine this a little further, okay? Turn to Psalm chapter 1 and verse 1. I'm not trying to probe into your life. I'm trying to bring peace into your heart that maybe you didn't realize you lacked. Let me, let me point out some things. 
In Psalm 1 and verse 1 and 2, it says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. In other words, you don't walk in the ways of wickedness or immorality or wrong thinking contrary to Christ, nor stand in the path of sinners. You don't camp yourself with people who are doing wrong stuff, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. In other words, you don't get in the position of criticizing. A scoffer is a criticizer. You're not a criticizer. You're not murmuring. You're not a complainer anymore. You're staying away from that mentality and those types of people. Verse 2, but his delight. Instead of doing those first two things, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Ah, that's an interesting set of verses. And I love Psalm 1. When he says he meditates in God's law, but the word meditate, and God's law is just God's word. The word meditate, it comes from two forms of meaning. And this is where it, fast, it gets fascinating. The first idea of the word meditate is this, to go over something in your mind. Look, let's be honest. Some of us, we're very obsessive in our thinking, huh? We can get a bad thought in our mind and spin it and spin it and spin it and spin it. That's not what it's talking about. But since you have that ability, why not take a verse from Scripture, write it out, put it on, whatever you got to do, keep it in front of you and meditate, spin that, spin that, spin that, spin that in your day and do it daily with different verses Slow down and start to meditate on that verse and see all that God speaks to you and it'll start to transform your thinking. Doesn't that make a lot more sense? Now, that's the first idea of the word. I like the second idea even better, this word meditate. It means, listen up. To give voice to the deepest longings of our hearts and our minds. Whoa, that's a mouthful. You know what it's really asking me, Jim? Do you ever slow down long enough to just know yourself? To understand yourself? Why you do what you do? Huh. To know the deepest longings of your heart? To uncover the deepest inner hurts and pains that can lead us to be to numb ourselves with busyness and busyness and busyness once again segue type a personalities like myself you look at this and say oh jim that's ridiculous no i thought it was years ago I, I for decades i thought it was and now i know it's not you need to slow down enough also mr busy miss busy person to know yourself what are the underlying things in our life? You see, we need to give voice to the deepest longings of our heart and our mind. Let me widen it out. Some of us can numb ourselves because <clears throat> of these deep things that we have not uncovered. We can numb ourselves with all kinds of stuff. And you know what they are. I don't even need to mention them. Now, <clears throat> why is it? Why is it that no matter how many parties a person attends and goes from sexual encounter to sexual encounter or purchases they make or restaurants you eat at or experience that, why is it we can do all those things continuously and wake up the next day, some of us, 
<clears throat> with the same inner gnawing pain and lack of peace. Oh, listen closely. This is not just for, and this is not just for non-followers of Christ. This is followers of Christ too. Jim, are you saying people who follow Christ jump into those things? Yeah, all the time. All the time. They struggle just like everyone else. But what if the underlying problem was something different? What if that was the lack of peace in their life? Now, let me give you the three Ps that I think can rob a person of peace. There's more. When you don't understand, first be purpose. What's your purpose? What's the purpose of your life here on planet Earth? That can gnaw at a person. Boy, you could try all kinds of things. You know you could even get all the college degrees, get in a career, and know this is not what I was geared for. Isn't that a sad, that'd be, that's a sad time, man. The next one is the past, P, past. Things that we've done, mistakes we've made. Failures, sins. That can gnaw at us. No matter how many ways we try to gnaw it, cover it up, not think about it, it that guilt can gnaw at us. How about this one? Third P is pain. That can rob us of peace. How we've been wounded in life, how people have, been, have sinned against us. And by the way, don't sit there and say, well, they've sinned against me. You have sinned against others yourself. We all have. So don't play that game and say, oh, they've just sinned against me. No, that's a, you're playing a one-sided uh, viewpoint of life, and it just doesn't work for health. But we have inner pain. Some of our pain is through loss. We lost things in life. We lost someone in life. We got our hearts broken in life. And all these things can rob us of pain. But what if we meditated uh, 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 enough to took a look at ourselves at the deepest longings? Now, somebody's going to say this. I had, to re I had to think this through to anticipate. Somebody's going to say, well, Jim, when I sit still with myself, I I all I can think about is, you know, the way I messed up and the regrets. There's no positivity toward it whatsoever. Or somebody's going to sit there and say, well, Jim, if I sit by myself and I start thinking about how they hurt me and how I lost this and what they did to me, it just turns into anger and I blame them. And listen, listen, listen. Here's the problem. I heard this story 30-something years ago, and I'm going to share it with you right now. I don't think I've told it in probably over 25 years. The story goes like this. There was an Eskimo. And on Saturdays, he used to come to the local town and he'd bring his dogs. And he'd set up dog fights. Not a good thing. We know that. But he'd set up dog fights. And he'd take bets. And after everybody wagered on which dog, then he'd place his bet. And he'd win every time. And he would take the people for money. Months and months and months go by. And he's just winning. Finally, somebody asks him, somebody gets him in a moment, or they ask him, how how is it you keep picking the winner? He says, it's easy. He says, well, how, how, how's it easy? He goes, the one I want to win, I feed that week. The ones I want to lose, I don't feed. One is strong, the others are weak. Let me tell you something. God doesn't want you and I to look inward, to look at the pain or the past for the purpose of getting weaker and going into self-destructive mode, uh-uh. He wants us to get healed up. So the, the real question is, when you start to do these things, you need to take what God says, meditate on what God says. Remember that? That was the first part of that word application. And apply it to your situation. 
that when you start to go into like, I messed up here, I messed up there, then now you take the blood of Jesus and you take his forgiveness and you realize that it's all, all cleansed away, all gone, everything. And you meditate that way. Or if people hurt me and people did this to me and I lost this. Well, now instead of going that way in your thinking, you take what God has given you, grace and mercy. And you now start applying it to those people's lives so you can love everyone. See, you got to meditate the right way. And, the, and it goes back to the issue. Who's, who, who are you feeding? If we are just feeding our flesh, and there's plenty of ways to feed our flesh in this world without even trying, man, then we're going to lose. But if we take intentional times in our life to feed our spirit, the Word of God, and meditate on that, we begin to heal up. We begin to heal up. <clears throat> See, it's in the green pastures that we lie down. We take hard looks at ourselves where God begins to heal our lives up, not to hurt us, but to heal us. Listen, listen, because it brings peace. <clears throat> Paul, in the New Testament, when we talk about the armor of God, it's in, um, <clears throat> it's in uh, Galatians chapter, no, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 6. I'm blank there for a second. Ephesians chapter 6. But Paul, when he talks about this armor of God, he's using um, what the Roman soldiers would wear, and he talks about the shoes. He says, to we're to shod our feet. Use it in spiritual application. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The Roman footwear of the soldier had cleats on the bottom. Why would he have cleats on the bottom? Because when you're in mortal combat, you, want to be, you don't want to be slipping and sliding or you die. Paul says that you want to shod your life with the peace of God. So that when you're in mortal combat in life and life's getting you down or old things and this and that, the old pains come back, you're not slipping and sliding in mortal combat and you win. Feed your spirit. Feed your spirit. Now, not only do we lie down, but we are led. What are we led to? We're led to still waters, peaceful waters. Let me give you an application. I'm a, I'm a blessed guy in multiple ways and so are you if you think about it. But I've, uh, my wife and I have intentionally uh, been going down the road of trying to visit every state in the United States, at least just to put our foot in the state, even if we don't totally visit it. One state we did this, we were in Lexington to Kentucky, over the bridge, over the water, was Indiana. Well, let's drive over the bridge. We drove over, ate at White Castle, drove back over. I've been to Indiana. Now, we've covered about 35 states, and most of them we spend days in them, not just that bit of time, but we were there, so we did it just in case we never get back to Indiana. I've been to a lot of places, and one of the places I've been to that I enjoy, I've been there twice, is Niagara Falls, and you need to go there one day. It's just an amazing thing. See, I love the mountains. High Sierras, that's my thing, man. I could never leave my High Sierras. I love it. I love the rivers. I love the flowing rivers and the waterfalls. I love the High Sierras. Niagara Falls, breathtaking when they turn those lights on at night oh man it's beautiful but here's the thing i've gone down in those boats in the water there twice now made of the mist and i cannot remember what the other company's called but they put you know you have to, they put these big plastic coats over you and uh, <clears throat> kind of a poncho type thing and they drive that boat toward the falls it's incredible it is blowing wind and there's water everywhere and it's amazing. 
Now, here's the thing about that. <clears throat> There's two things playing out as you're in that boat. Number one, it's loud. It's really, really loud. And so if I was going to sit there and be still and know God in that, there's just no way. It's just too loud. The second thing about that place is the waters are swift moving and they are dangerous if you fall in. <clears throat> God leads us to still waters, not dangerous waters, because a sheep is vulnerable. He leads them to waters that are still because what if that sheep was led to dangerous waters moving fast and he fell in? He would die. He would die. <clears throat> so here's, here, here's the deal, guys. God leads us to places where we have life, where there's safety. But where do you consistently, where do I consistently drink from? Where we, we lead ourselves are still waters or swift waters? What do we overwhelm our minds with? Fear? Or faith. See, one's going to give you a panic and one is going to give you a peaceful heart. Now, point two. Point two, the peaceful heart travels light. And back in Psalm 23, 3, it says this. He restores my soul. I like that line. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He restores my soul. Doesn't that make perfect sense sequentially? If he is leading me to, or making me lie down in green pastures and leading me to still waters, now as I sit there with God, now God begins to restore. He begins to heal my hurts, heal my pain, give me purpose in life as I sit still with, there's a, st sit still with him. As I'm honest with myself and before God, as he reveals little bits of me to myself, he begins to restore my insights. Think about it. David, in verse 2, was talking about the outsides. Green pastures, still waters. Now he moves to the insides. He restores my soul. The word restore is a great word. It simply means to return. And I had to think about that to give it some application. Here's what I believe the Spirit of God dropped in my thought processes. See what you think. It means to return, huh? but to return means I must realize that I'm gone. What if I don't even know that I'm gone? Let me put it to you in another way. I've, I've been talking to people for over 30-something years, and there's some reoccurring themes that I realized a long time ago, and I use these statements with people, and that is this, that many times in our life, the abnormal has become normal. That we, as people, we have been living in abnormal ways for so long, we think it's normal. So we don't know that we need to return and be restored because we think this is exactly the way life should be. And it's not. Because you've got to measure it with the Word of God. So we must return. Jesus tells us in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 11, 28-30, that to come to him. Come to him. And twice he's going to say, he'll give us rest. He'll give us rest. He'll give us rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He's telling us what? I think it's clear. Slow it down. Slow it down. Travel light. 
Now, once we slow down and face our insides and we're honest with ourselves, God now begins to heal the insides and we're traveling light. Now, think about this, friends. Isn't it heavy enough outside with all the responsibilities and things that come at us? It's heavy, isn't it, at times? Then you multiply that with heavy insights, with unresolved issues and unresolved pain and unresolved forgiveness. And we sit there and we have all this pain on the outside, trouble and trouble on the inside. It's a perfect storm, man. And there ain't no way you're going to have peace in that situation. Now, think about this. Traveling light. Dealing with the insides. To, find, to have a peaceful heart. In the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, there's a book called Nehemiah. I love that book. Many great applications. But let me tell you what's in chapter 13. Nehemiah, who has come back and rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem. The temple was already built. So he's come to restore the walls. But then he has to leave and go back to what his main job is, back the cupbearer to the king. <clears throat> and while he's gone, something happens to the temple because you see there's adversaries and enemies there. They take all the side rooms of the temple and they start putting their personal junk in there. Those side rooms were specifically to be used only to store the worship items for temple worship that the priests would use but the enemies have come and put all kinds of junk in those side rooms. And they've even let people live in there. Listen closely, please. Some of us don't have peace in our heart. We're not traveling light. Because the side rooms, we are the temple of the Spirit of God. When you're born again, you become the temple of the Spirit of God. But the side rooms of our mind and our personality, those side rooms have been filled with junk along the way. There's a lot of baggage in there. And like in Nehemiah's day, somebody even came to live in there. Some people are still living in your head. You still remember those negative things. You still remember what was said, and you replay it. All I'm telling you today is that God wants you to slow down, take a hard look at yourself periodically, focus it on the scriptures as God begins to reveal things to you so those rooms can be cleaned out. Because there's enough pain on the outside. There's enough problems on the outside. Why compound it with pain on the inside? Let's travel light, friends. I think that makes a lot of sense. You want a peaceful heart? You travel light. And that's what God wants for you. That's exactly what He wants for you. Now, we're going to go to point three now. This is my second application, and it is point three. And that's this. The peaceful heart travels right. So secondly, point two, you travel, you travel light. Now you travel right. He says in verse 3, he says this, He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, <clears throat> the word guides, as God guides, it means um, a track or a trench. Now, let me, let me try to uh, explain it. I, I like uh, the Olympic Games. I, I like both summer and winter. One of the things I enjoy in the winter games among a few items I really enjoy, are when they do the, uh, the big ski jumps. Those guys are crazy. <laughs> you 
You watch them, they jump on there and they're going down that big mountain. They're just flying. And then they hit their gathering steam and they hit the jump and they're flying through the air with their hands behind them like this as they're leaning forward and the heels are up off the skis. And it's incredible. I, I, I can only imagine that it is like so much better to even see it in person. But here's what I noticed about them. Have you ever noticed that when they jump on that ramp, that there are two grooves all the way down as they are gathering steam? And they, their skis are in those trenches that are formed in there, and they stay in the trenches, and they're zooming down to get optimum speed for optimum performance, for optimum lift, to fly as far down as they can so they can win a medal. What would happen if they took their ski and said, ah, I'm not going to keep my, I'm going to keep one ski in the trench and would put one ski outside the trench. That'd be tragic, wouldn't it? They may not even get to the jump. They wouldn't have the speed they need. They, they, would, they wouldn't get any lift and they sure wouldn't win a medal. Okay. They got to travel down the trench for optimum performance. It says he guides me. It means a track or a trench. He guides me in the path of rightness. <clears throat> Here's the thing. Start putting it all together now. <clears throat> you travel light, but you've got to travel right to travel light. This is the trench. The Word of God is the trench. And to travel right and light, you've got to stay in the trench. You've got to stay in, 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 within God's Word. <clears throat> Let me talk to you from my heart now. It's something that's been on my, in my system, in my spirit for a while now, and um, I'm trying my best to try to apply this. Um, I, I still believe there are plenty more people in our country that are for God than are against God's word. I, I firmly believe it. I firmly believe that the younger generation is going to rise up and make a stand for God like we've never seen before. But let me tell you what I know in the midst of all of it, because it's a fact. That in our country, we have watched a trend over the decades now of secularism, where we remove God, and humanism, where not only do we remove God, now we basically, and they don't say it this way, but they basically declare that humans our God, and we can decide what is morally or ethically correct. We all know that's tragedy in the making right there. At least, I think most of us know that. See, they've stepped out of the trench, and they've decided to make their own trench. And it, I don't think it's working. At least I don't see any positive results of it. But where did it come from? Where did this veering away come from? Well, let me tell you. You've heard me say this before. You go all the way back to the first book of the Hebrew Scriptures, Genesis. You go back to chapter 3, a chapter of which I firmly believe that all of our issues, especially relationship issues, and where we go morally off track, are in that chapter. It's right there, man. It's so filled with meaning. But Eve is standing at that tree. You remember, if you know the story, the serpent tempts her to eat. She says, no, I can't eat. If I eat of that fruit, I'm, God said we're going to die. The serpent says, 
You surely shall not die. Come on, Eve. Eve, God knows. God knows the day you eat of it, your eyes are going to open up. Oh, it's going to be an enlightening time for you. And you're going to know the difference between right and wrong, good and evil. In fact, you'll be like God. You'll be the shot caller. Whatever your opinion is on the matter, deify that one, and that makes it so. And from that moment on, there has been this spiritual battle to eliminate God and therefore make man God. And once man becomes his own shot caller, he veers out of the trench that would give him optimum speed for optimum lift to achieve greatness in his life on multiple levels. But we stepped out of the trench and, you know, we decide what is wrong, right or wrong. We are now the shot callers of our life. You see, the problem is everybody confesses to know, to know what time it is. But we've thrown away the watch. We've thrown away the clock. So how does anybody really know what time it is? That's an old Chicago song, by the way. How does anybody really know? We're sitting here deciding what is morally right. Now, let me tell you the end result of when we start making our own decisions and calling our own shots. We no longer know who, what, or why we are. We no longer know who, what, or why we are because we veered out of the tracks. When I veer out of God's track, I no longer know who, what, or why I am because God, in His greatness, has created us in the image and the likeness of God. He has put a sacredness upon us that only God can give. He is the one and the only one that can tell you and I who, what, and why we are. And when we start to meditate upon God's word, and God starts to clean out the junk out of those side rooms of the temple, and God gets us to sit still enough to get all these things out in the open, you start to discover that God begins to speak to you through His Word, through the tracks, the guide of righteousness, to tell you who, what, and why you are. And you'll have a peace that you'll never know. You've never known. Because I know that peace. Now you guys know my favorite story. Let me, let me close with a couple things. You know my favorite story. Prodigal Son. You know it. I share it about every third week, a piece of it, fourth week, because I love it so much. Prodigal son, he goes, he leaves dad. Give me my inheritance, which means dad, you're dead to me, even though dad's not dead. He goes out, blows the money, blows the money in a foreign land. And now he's hungry, and all of his so-called friends, they've left him because he has no more money. Some of you have been there, huh? Oh, he's starving. So he attaches himself. He gets a job. He gets a job with a man in that foreign land feeding pigs. Now, that's a problem because he's a Jewish boy. Feeding pigs? Whoa, no. While he's feeding the pigs and he's longing to eat what the pigs are eating, he has an epiphany. There's, there's an awakening. There's, there's a moment where he starts to realize and, and think because now he can think clearly because it's just him by himself and no one's there. It's just him and God. Oh. And now he can find out the deepest longings of his heart and what's really going on inside of him. And he thinks to himself this. He comes to this reality. 
I'm starving. But how many of my father's employees are eating good tonight? I'm going to get back and go to my dad. I'm going to go home. I'm going to go home. And he does. He starts heading home. When he gets home, long story short, in his mind, he's going to ask his dad for a job because I can't be a son anymore. I've blown it. But when he gets there, dad says, no, 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 no. You're not an employee here. You're my son. And you're back in the family. You're going to run the business. <clears throat> you don't live in the bunkhouse. You're not a second-rate person. I have a question for you. And here's the big question. Where did that boy get the idea that he was simply a hired servant? Out there in that foreign land when he attached himself and got a job to that man who sent him out as a hired hand to feed the pigs. See, out there he got some wrong information. Out there he got some wrong things in the side rooms of the temple of, of his life. Out there, his whole life of who, what, and why he is was redefined incorrectly. But when he came back to his father, when we come back to our father, and we, and we lie down in green pastures and sit beside still waters, and he guides us in the tracks of his word. And he begins to cleanse us and cleanse our mind and our thinking and clean out all the junk. Then we realize who, what, and why we are. <clears throat> the culture can't define you. Only God can. Only God can. Last thought. I gave you 21 years to watch this movie. Now I've got to blow it for you. But I always give you enough time. But one of my favorite movies of 21 years ago was The Matrix. I love that movie. It's so cool. It's ahead of its time. But there's one scene when Neo, and I like the way that he's called Neo because Neo means new. He's new. He's been released from The Matrix. It's like he's been born again. And now he lives in the real world. And one day they're in that car. Do you remember? And I think it was, I think that car is a 64 Lincoln Continental with suicide doors. So cool. And he looks through town and he sees a restaurant and he says, I used to eat soup. I used to eat there. He goes, really good soup. And he says like that, really good soup. And then he turns to Trinity and he says, what does this mean? And she says, it means the matrix cannot tell you who you are. It cannot tell you who you are. Look at me, friend. The culture can't tell you who you are. Only God can tell you who, what, and why you are. Only God can. And I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ to become a follower, I'm going to I'm going to give you an opportunity. But before I do that, Christian, follower of Christ, there was a whole load of stuff in this message for you to start facing up and take a hard look and let God begin to heal and clean out some stuff. So you finally realize who, what, and why you are. And you don't walk with an inner heaviness. You travel light and you travel right.
boy, it's a great place to be in. But now for you, non-follower of Christ, it's my hope, it's my prayer that something made sense to you and that maybe like that prodigal son coming home to the Father, you'll come home to Father God right now, right now. I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus or maybe you backslid, it's time to come back. If you've, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, and what I mean by that is you've never confessed him as your Lord, Savior, and only God and asked him to forgive you of your sins and allowed him to come and dwell in your life through the Holy Spirit, then this is the moment. I'm going to say a prayer right now. And if you're going to place your faith in Jesus for the first time, repeat the prayer. If you're rededicating your life, repeat the prayer. And in both cases, just apply faith. Just apply faith. So here we go. I'm going to say the prayer. I'm going to say it slowly with breaks so you can repeat it. Here we go. Jesus, thank you for loving me enough to save me. Thank you for dying for me on a cross. Thank you for carrying my sins upon your body and shedding your blood to forgive me. Forgive me of all my sins and I know I'm forgiven. I place my faith in you. Today I become a follower of Jesus Christ. Now let me just pray for you now. Here I want to pray for you. God, I just pray for you. You can keep your eyes open, close, whatever you want to do. I, I pray, Lord. I pray for everyone that said that prayer in faith, whether for the first time or in rededication. I pray, Jesus, they follow up. I pray you get a Bible out there. Get connected to some Christian people. Keep watching online messages. Grow in your faith. Start reading in the New Testament. Read in the Gospels. Stay there for a long time. Read about Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first four letters of the New Testament. When the church doors open, get into church and get in there regularly and become a worshiper and a follower and a servant of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And begin to watch what he will do if you're just honest with yourself on all the changes he'll make in your life for the good. You will travel light and you will travel right and God will begin to show you who, what, and why you are. <laughs> Amen. Well, that's where we're going to end today. We'll pick up with the peaceful heart um, next week as we travel into verse 5. But just know that you'll never find true peace until you allow Jesus to do all these things in your life. And that takes surrender. So until I see in person, I'm going to give you my digital hug. Hopefully you felt that one. Love you guys. And I hope I see you sooner than later.